Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Fruitful in Affliction by Pastor Sean Wood. An enormous good morning to you, Rock Church. Welcome to you all. Uh, This morning, uh, 19th of April. Wow, time's flying, hey? Uh, I trust everybody enjoyed a... uh, a very blessed time over Easter, despite all the circumstances surrounding us. I do pray that everybody had a enjoyable uh, Easter uh, and that you were able to enjoy family in whatever capacity that was for you. This morning, before we begin, uh, just a quick shout out to Noel and Sharon. Um, happy wedding anniversary and well done, Sharon. Uh, Well done for uh, many years of perseverance. We're going to be talking about perseverance today and and Sharon will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Also, uh, two other people I'd like to um, uh, just give a shout out. They they watch intently every Sunday morning. I'd like to say uh, an enormous good morning to Hope Sargison and Joseph Sargison. An enormous good morning to to Hope and Joe. And uh, God bless you. God bless the Sargison family, we are uh, thankful to be socially distancing ourselves from them for the moment, uh, all the way over in Warwick. Yes, that's a place in Queensland. I know everybody's thinking, where's that? It's a, it's a place in Queensland, praise God. Uh, if you've got your Bibles this morning, as we come around the tithes and offerings, we, we worship God with our tithes and offerings. I only want to briefly share with you this morning. Um, I want to say, first of all, as we come into this moment, I just want to say an enormous Thank you to everybody. Um, thank you for those that are reaching out. Thank you for those that are... Uh, oh, I, I'm getting emails. I'm getting text messages of people that are, are just saying uh, hello and how everything's going and, and everybody's keeping an eye on everybody. And that's a great blessing. It's a great encouragement. A great encouragement just to see the heart. Uh, this, these kinds of times expose uh, our hearts. And um, I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But but if, can I boast about the Rock Church for a moment? Because if these circumstances are exposing the heart of the Rock Church, then what we're seeing, everybody caring for one another, everybody thinking about one another, everybody uh, uh, texting one another, and it's, it's just beautiful to see. It's also very encouraging to see those that are giving and giving faithfully. That's an enormous encouragement. And it means that... Um, it's a, it's a work that God has done deep in your heart. And uh, same with communion. If you're, if you're at home taking communion, you know that it's far. Yes, it's beautiful to be together and sharing in communion. But if you're, if you're home and you're having communion, then that is a sign that communion to you is something deep that God has worked inside of you. So there's a moment in, in time for, for the Israelites and uh, they've left Egypt and they're out in the wilderness and they don't know where their food's going to come from. They're out in the wilderness. They're, they're in this desert and uh, they, they don't know where water's coming from. They don't, know where, uh, oh, they don't know where their food is coming from. And they begin to complain. They begin to complain against Moses and Aaron. They, they begin to complain against, against God. They, uh, they complain amongst themselves. You know, uh, at, at least in Egypt, we huddled around pots of meat at night and, and we had bread and and so God speaks in uh, Exodus 16. It's a great chapter to read, but God speaks and God says, we all know about the manna that came from heaven. Uh, but in chapter uh, 16 of Exodus, in verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Now, this was a miracle that took place. God sustained uh, at least hundreds of thousands of people in the desert by miraculous provision. These guys didn't work for it. These guys didn't toil for it. These guys, God provided it for them. And it was an act of faith because what God said was only take what you need for today. Every family, large or small, just take what you need for each day. And we know that some disobeyed, right? And, and we know that those that tried to keep and hoard some up for, for, for the next day that the maggots got in and destroyed it. And there's a beautiful lesson here, a beautiful lesson that speaks about a heart of trust. Because so many of the Israelites had a heart that said, I just trust that what rained down on me this morning will rain down on me tomorrow. And, and sometimes we can have a mentality of, of trying to hoard. It's good to save. It's good to adopt good financial principles and stewardship when it comes to our money. But it's also good to allow God to use us as a vessel and not a container. 
Now, some of the Israelites, they're trying, to, they're trying to be a container. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment as we work through the life of Joseph. But they're trying to be a container, trying to, trying to store it up and God's blessings and trying to hoard it all for themselves. And, and God says, you know, I've poured it out in your lap. I'm, I'm going to bring it every morning. You don't need to store it up. Just, just let it out. It's a beautiful truth of what we can do with our finances as well. God, you know, all of us have moments where the tide comes in, the tide goes out. It's kind of... You know, we know times of plenty and times when we're a little bit skint and we're going to tighten the belt. Happens to most of us. But God always brings that manna from heaven for us. And it comes from him. That's the, that's the beauty of that. So this morning, I do want to say thank you. And, uh, and the heart that I am seeing is a heart that absolutely just is all for God. It's, it's not something that man manufactures, but it's a faithfulness and it's a reliance upon God. And so bless you guys. Uh, thank you for that. And, and I wonder if you could just join me in prayer for a moment as we, as we pray over the offering. Father, I thank you. You are a glorious God that rains down provision on every single one of us. Lord God, we are undeserving, but you lavish abundance on every single one of us. Thank you, Lord God, for the food that we eat. Thank you, Lord God, for the abundance that we enjoy. And I pray, Lord God, that as seed comes into your kingdom, Lord God, that you would take this and cause a harvest for the kingdom of God in your wonderful precious and glorious name. Uh, so this morning, uh, we're going to continue uh, through, a, through the series of Joseph. Um, uh, in this brief moment, if you're going to track with me in your Bibles, then, then please turn to Genesis chapter 40, and we'll pick up the story of Joseph. And uh, uh, before we do that, I, I just want to make it clear I want, to, I want to make an announcement that uh, if, if in any way this word reaches you this morning, if this word reaches you in any way, shape or form, and you need prayer for any reason, you need uh, to contact a pastor for any reason, if you need to in any way, shape or form, you want to know more information about youth and kids and, and life groups, then we have now uh, a contact page on our website, and I'm going to put those details up at the end of the message. But we have a contact page. You can click on the website, click on contact, and, and, you, and I'll give you the link for that when we're finished here today. And uh, you can just reach out in any way that's comfortable for you, and we're, hap- we're here to help in any way that we can. We want to be able to help you. So if that's you, then please feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm going to pray now as we come around God's word. I, I trust that this morning finds all of us well. I trust that this morning finds us free. I, I, I can announce that at the moment, by God's grace and mercy and due to his glory, that COVID-19 has not affected anybody in our congregation. Uh, where that all goes, I don't know. But I, I, do, I am thankful to God for the circumstances that are here in Australia. When I look at what's going on around the globe, can we just be thankful and grateful for a moment? <laughs> you know, when, when the US moves from hundreds to thousands of people that are, that are perishing on a daily basis because of this disease, we've read the tragedies that have befallen places like Spain and, and Italy and now the UK. I wonder for a moment before we enter into the word that we pray for what's going on in Australia, we, we pray for what's going on across the globe. We just ask God to open our hearts this morning because I really believe the message that I've got this morning is a message to all of us, particularly for the times that we're in. Let's, wherever you are this morning, just bow your heads. Father, I just thank you that you are bigger than all the circumstances that befall us. You're bigger than any virus. Lord God, for all the fear and anxiety that may threaten to come upon us at this time, Lord God, you're bigger than that as well. You're bigger than fear. You're bigger than anxiety. You're bigger than coronavirus. You're bigger than politics at this time. You're bigger than economic fallout. Lord God, you're bigger than all of these things right now. And I just pray, Lord God, that as we turn all of our focus to you, we look to you in faith to move in power in this country. Lord God, that you would move in power amongst our parliamentarians at all levels. Lord God, we ask that you would work in power across this globe. We ask for hearts to be turned to you. We ask for eyes to be opened to you. We ask, Lord God, for those that are grief-stricken and in tragedy right now, Lord God, that your finger would touch them. God, you are omnipresent. That means you're everywhere all at once. 
Right now, you're catching every tear that falls from the eyes of those in the US and Italy and Spain and the UK, all those places. And even right here in Australia, for those that have been affected tragically by this disease, Lord God, you're catching every tear. Thank you, Father, that nobody escapes your attention. Thank you, Lord God, that nothing happens that you are not aware of. In your wonderful and glorious name, I pray that as we come around your word, Lord God, that you would open our hearts to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I asked before uh, that you would meet me in Genesis chapter 40. You know, uh, over Easter, I was reading the culmination of the life of Jesus before he, as he was coming into uh, his Passion Week. Of course, he's alive today, but, uh, but his time here on earth with us, and I noticed a couple of things there and, and, and a couple of things have struck me recently, which I really believe is God, God's word to us. And it kind of applies to what we're talking about today. And, you know, I, so many people think that in, in John chapter 11, verse 35, we read that Jesus wept. And so many people think that the only time Jesus wept, the only time in scripture that it records Jesus weeping was in John chapter 11. But of course, for those that have read Luke chapter 19, we know that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And I was struck when I read these words because so much, that, uh, so much that's going on in the world today applies to some of these things because uh, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and he's coming into his final week. And as he comes to Jerusalem, he overlooks the city and he says, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how I have desired to gather you as a mother hen would gather her chicks, but... And after that, and think for a moment how a mother hen gathers her chicks. It's about, it's about enclosing and encapsulating. And what Jesus is saying is, I've, I've desired to gather you. I've desired for you to, to know my surrounding presence. And, and the next line is the very reason I cannot be a theistic determinist. Now, now, you can look up what that means, but it basically means that God orders every speck of everything. I believe that mankind is responsible. God is sovereign, and we're going to touch on that today. It's enormously important truth. The Bible highlights God is sovereign, but we cannot escape that man is responsible. Because what Jesus goes on and says is, I've desired to gather you like a mother hen gathers the chicks. He says, but you would not. He goes on and he then prophesies events that would happen in 70 AD about Rome surrounding the city and not one stone will be left on another. And he says, these things will happen to you because you did not recognise the day of your visitation. I believe we're in a moment, we're in a season, we're in a time of the visitation of God on this planet and in this country, in this church. I believe God would desire to gather right now those on the fringes. I, I'm mindful of reading in Exodus, I'm mindful of Moses. And you know, I'm going to make a statement now that a lot of people listening to me aren't going to like, but let's face it, I'm not, in, I'm not at any risk right now of any tomatoes. No one's going to be launching tomatoes or eggs right now, so I can say whatever I want and I'll deal with the fallout later. But I'm going to make a statement right now and I guarantee you most of us aren't going to like it because when the truth reached me, I didn't really like it either. And that is God is not concerned about your comfort. None of God's purposes, none of God's will, none of God's plan is all about maintaining or increasing your comfort. God's not concerned about your comfort at all. And take the life of Moses. Moses grows up in the house of Pharaoh, 40 years in the house of Pharaoh. He knows the pleasures that Egypt has to offer because he grows up uh, as the prince of Egypt, so to speak. But, but then, of course, through a certain set of circumstances, he finds himself catapulted out into the desert. Now he's 40 years in the desert. And, and this time in the desert, he's, he's met a woman. He's, he's gotten married. He's had children. We know that because one of them's not circumcised when he's going back. And, and so he's, he, he's gotten married. He's, he's had children. He's comfortable. There's that word again. He's comfortable. Moses finds himself comfortable. And as he's wandering through the wilderness, tending the sheep, there's a bush alight. We all know the story of the burning bush. Come on. We all know the story of the burning bush right now. And God lights a bush, but this bush was different. 
you know, spontaneous combustion. It's not overly, not overly unexpected in, in the wilderness of the Middle East. But something was different. You see, there's something different when the fire of God comes on anything or anybody, by the way. <laughs> Same as this bush. It comes upon you, but it doesn't consume you and it doesn't destroy you. Moses noticed that this bush was a light, but it wasn't being destroyed. And something happened. God spoke to Moses, but in between Moses seeing the bush and God speaking to him, something very profound happened. It says that Moses turned aside. Moses turned aside. It also says, Exodus chapter 3, that when God saw that Moses turned aside, he spoke to him. I believe God is lighting a burning bush right now. He's, he's lighting a burning bush for the church. He's lighting a burning bush for every leader. Every, I'm hearing pastors now. I'm in conversations with pastors. He's lighting a burning bush and he wants one thing from his people right now. And that is that we would turn aside. The, the word of the Lord to his church right now is turn aside, turn aside, turn aside. I'm burning up everything that you think's important in your life right now. I'm burning all that up, right? Because God's not concerned with your comfort. As we will see in the life of Joseph, God's all about character and character's got to be forged. Character's got to be sometimes beaten into us. Uh, not many people, some might know here that the first job I had was uh, I was a radiator mechanic. I, I fixed radiators on cars and that involved an enormous amount of soldering and bronzing and welding and some light blacksmith work. And I used to do some blacksmith work, which basically is taking metal and doing whatever you want to do with it. And you know, I used to do a lot of welding and all that sort of stuff. We used to make our own tools, these big bars we had to do. We used to make brackets and, and all this sort of stuff. We used to make them up to do what we wanted. But we, we did a light bit of uh, blacksmithing work. And I, I learned a few things about blacksmithing and metal. Uh, every piece of metal that I picked up was cold and it was hard and it was impenetrable. You couldn't do anything with it. I, we, we, had, we had racks and racks and racks of metal for all varying different purposes. But the minute you took it off the rack, you couldn't do anything with it. And it's kind of, it's kind of like the society and the culture we live in today. In Western society, we live in a culture that is very cold and very callous and very hard against the things of God. And friends, it's creeping and has crept into the pews of churches and even amongst leadership. We need to repent. We're, Acts chapter 3, uh, repent therefore that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. But, but this medal I would take and I would have a picture in my mind of what I wanted to do with this medal. Uh, we could do whatever we wanted with this medal, but I had a picture in my mind of what the end game was. We're going to see with Joseph right now that that's exactly what the case was with God. You see, when God picks up this ruddy 17-year-old right back in the time when he's with his family back in the land of Canaan, God picks up this ruddy, ambitious uh, 17-year-old and he, immediately God's thinking, Prime Minister of Egypt. And when I used to pick up this medal, I used to find that before I could do anything with it, I would have to soften that medal. I couldn't do anything. If I tried to bend it in the state that it was, it would rip, tear, break and destroy. But you know what? If I could soften that metal, I could begin to do whatever I wanted to it. I've put enormous twists in metal. I've, I've wound big springy kind of formations into metal. I've, I flatten metal. But what I have to do to be able to do that is I apply an enormous amount of heat. I have to put it into a furnace. I heat it up with huge torches. And then if I, you know, I used to use things like big hammers. I used to take a, a, another piece of metal and, and wrap it round and round and round. And I could do whatever I wanted when that metal was hot and when it was, and when it was soft. I could do whatever I wanted. And that's what God does in our lives. It's uncomfortable for the metal to be that hot. It's glowing red. And what God does is places us in, throughout our lives into furnaces so that he can bend us, mould us, shape us. I believe the church is in a furnace right now. And it's an enormous blessing. Everything that, everything that we've been praying for, God is beginning to do in our lives. Everything that we wanted to happen outside, God is applying heat. Can I, can I encourage you this morning? God is applying heat to those who don't know Him. To those outside of these walls right now, they are becoming far more bendable and moldable to the things of God right now. We stand upon a time of enormous opportunity. We're going to touch on that in a moment. 
And the life of Joseph is like that piece of metal God picks up. When he was 17, God picks up this cold, hard, callous, overambitious piece of metal. And through a series of applying heat and pressure and bends and twists and turns, he, he begins to get to the point that we're going to see today. And if we look back over our lives, I'm sure we will see times when God's turned up the temperature in the furnace. I know that's true for my life. If I look back over the 22 years of my life, come on. If I, it's going to take some faith to believe that this morning. But if I look back over my life, I can see times when God's turned up the furnace. It's been enormously uncomfortable, but it's been a season where God's done an enormously beautiful work in my life. And I know that's the case because in the three years I've been here, I've seen that happen here. But it's uncomfortable. We need to grab hold of the fact that God is not about our comfort. He's about our character. And character's got to be forged. This morning, as we work our way through, we're going to jump like onto stepping stones through the two chapters of chapter 40 and 41. But we're going to work through, and as we do, I believe that this message is a message for us right now. And there's some key words we need to grab that apply to us right now. Right here, right now today, there are words that will apply to the circumstances that we find ourselves in and the landscape that we find ourselves in. If you've, if you've turned to chapter 40 of Genesis, whether it's by soft copy or by hard copy, I'd like you to meet me in verse 1. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1, uh, sometime after this. I want you to write this word down because uh, one thing that is important as we, as we view the life of Joseph, and I'm sure as we view our own lives, the word I want you to write down right now is time frames. I've got some enormously good news, although it doesn't always reach us as good news. Uh, God doesn't move according to our time frames. This is a lesson I've learned in the very 23, 4, 5 years of my life. You might see my nose begin to grow here shortly, but that's okay. Stay with me if you can. Over the short period of my life, I've come to understand this one thing. God, time is something imposed upon me. It's not something that's imposed upon God. In fact, I've become to realise that God exists outside of what we know as time. And God God does work in fixed time frames. We see that in Daniel with the 70 weeks and those sorts of things. God has set time frames, but, but God works according to plans and purpose and, and his plans and, and times and seasons. Jesus says in Acts chapter one, you know, the times and seasons the father has fixed. That's, a, that's not the first time we're going to hear that word this morning. But I want you to know this morning that God doesn't move according to our time frames. I, I know that. If he did right now, coronavirus would be gone, right? Isn't it uncomfortable? I don't know about anybody else, but is anybody else a little bit uncomfortable right now? The uncomfort that we're all feeling right now is God trying to get our attention and it's the most enormous blessing that any of us can experience. <laughs> Praise his wonderful name. That it, it's a wonder that God, the wonder that we should have is that God works in any of our lives. That's the wonder that we should all behold. God doesn't work according to our time frames. I don't know when coronavirus will end. I don't know when international travel will resume. I don't know when restrictions will be lifted in Australia. They're things that are out of my control. Now, now, what I can control right now, we've spoken about this concerning these circumstances, but there's another thing that we need to understand as we move our way through the life of Joseph is, although I stand in a position right now where the only thing I can control or have control over is me. I have control over my words. I have control over my attitudes. I have control over my time. Uh, those sorts of things I have control over. Uh, everything else outside of that circle, I can influence, but I can't control. We may be able to influence, but we, but we can't control. That doesn't mean we should stop trying to influence. So the first key word this morning that I want everybody to grab is the word time frames. One truth we need to understand from the life of Joseph that applies to us is God moves according to his time frames. God moves according to when he is ready. We don't move God. We don't control God. 
We don't press buttons and God, God's not a puppet that we have on the end of the strings. And here's another truth. We are not puppets that God has at the end of strings. That's not how this works. You see, sometimes, uh, sometimes the far end of the scale of theistic determinism kind of paints a picture of a God with this, we're all puppets and God's pulling some strings and not others. That's, that's, that's not the picture that the Bible paints. The Bible definitely paints a picture of a God who is enormously in control. But we are responsible for how we behave. God has given us free will. The, the most loving act, this is another controversial statement. I mean, I'm on a roll this morning. <laughs> One of the most loving acts that God performed was when he put the tree in the garden. That's right. Come on. Because the minute God put the tree in the garden, every moment that nobody eats from that tree, they're choosing God. The minute that tree enters the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that uh, Adam and Eve ate from, the minute that tree enters the garden, the minute we all have choice and free will, it's the greatest gift God's ever given us. God says now a relationship with me is because you choose it. We're not robots, friends. We're not puppets. That's not what the Bible says. We're responsible for what we do. We can choose God. God can choose you. Good Friday's message highlights just how much Jesus chose us. Everything that, that was set before Jesus, he chose that for us. Time frames. Here's another one. Uh, we're going to bump into this next word really, really quickly. Let's, let's read it through a few verses here because uh, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offence against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed, underline that word, circle that word and highlight out that word. We're going to come back to that word. And the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. I, you know, the other day, uh, just for a small matter, please don't be concerned, but just for a small matter of, uh, of inconsequential means, I had to go and see the doctor. And uh, I, I now get on the computer because I, sometimes I don't have an immense amount of time. I get on the computer, I set an appointment, I had an appointment with the doctor. Uh, if you're writing down the words and you're tracking with me, write down God appointments now because this is the next really important thing that happens in the life of Joseph that happens now. But I noticed something the other day was I, I, I made an appointment. I turned up at the desk. I said, look, I'm here. I went and took a seat. The doctor opens the door and he stands at the door and calls my name. <laughs> and right there and then my appointment has, has come to, my appointment has come to the time Oh, when the doctor's ready. Now, I realise something. If I wasn't in the waiting room and if I wasn't in, in that vicinity or in that position, then I would have missed my appointment. Our lives are littered with God appointments. And some of them we've missed. Come on, stay with me now. You see, Moses in the desert. Let's go back to Moses for a moment. Everybody, we forget the fact that Moses could have kept walking. <laughs> we forget the fact that Moses could have just walked on by and he would have missed his God appointment. No, no, no. God spoke to him when he saw that he turned aside, when he saw that he had made himself available for the appointment. We miss God appointments because we're out of position. We miss God appointments uh, because we're not here when God turns up. What did Jesus say? Uh, I gathered, but you missed the day. I desired to gather you like a mother hen, like a chick, but you missed the day of your visitation. The story of Jonah, I, I, of all the prophets, I love the story of Jonah. Man, there's a lot of life, Jonah's life that resonates with my life. A man on the run from God. Come on. How many of us in this room are going, yeah, that's me at some point in my life. A man on the run from God, a man on the run from his calling, a man distant from those around him at some point in time. But you read those four chapters of the book of Jonah and you underline and you count and you tell me how many times you read these words, the Lord appointed. In one chapter, you'll read it four times. The Lord appointed, the Lord appointed, the Lord appointed, the Lord appointed a storm, the Lord appointed a fish, the Lord appointed, uh, the Lord appointed the fish to spew, the Lord appointed a tree to grow, the Lord appointed. 
Jonah's life is a life full of God appointments. And I look back over my life, my life is full of God appointments where God has scheduled in times in my life. Set aside just right now, I want to deal with you. That's what happened with that doctor the other day. It was an appointment. Why? It was a scheduled piece of time where nobody else had his time except for me. And God is scheduling that time right now. Jesus scheduled that time 2,000 years ago for the people of Israel, but they missed it. They missed it. Largely, they missed it. He came to his own, but his own did not recognise him. Come on, stay with me this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. God is ever setting appointments. We're in that time right now. God is standing at the door and he's calling every name in this room. He's calling you this morning and he's made an appointment for you. Turn aside. Come on, turn aside. Joseph's life is littered with appointments. He had an appointment with a pit. He had an appointment with some traders. He had an appointment with Potiphar. He had an appointment with his wife. He had an appointment with the jailer. He's now got an appointment with the cupbearer and the baker. He's about to have an appointment with Pharaoh. Buckle your shoes, friends. It's about to get exciting. I want you to get excited this morning because a God appointment always means you come out the other side like it would if you were at the doctor. You come out, hopefully... You come out better than you went in. Is it too much to ask to schedule some time for God right now? To set yourself aside. What else have you got to do? Most of us are in isolation, right? You may as well go and read because the kids will drive you nuts anyway. Grab hold of your Bible. Go for a walk. Just separate some time for God. Turn aside, friends. Turn aside. Coming back down, they both have a dream. It says, verse 5 says, and, and one night they both dreamed. The, the cupbearer and the baker, they have a dream. Now, this is not uncommon. We've learnt that. The, the life of the story of Joseph tells us that, that this is how God spoke to people. They both have a dream. For the moment, that dream is somewhat inconsequential. But Joseph, who is tending them, notices that they're withdrawn and there's something wrong because they've had a dream. They don't understand what it means and they're trying to figure it all out. And Joseph said to them, uh, so, and they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And, and Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God. Now, if you're writing down the words this morning, the first one was time frames, The second one was God appointments. And now the next one is opportunity. Have a look at what God does here. We are standing in an enormous opportunity right now to display the glory of God. Joseph is confronted with an opportunity here and he takes hold of that opportunity. What is the biography of Joseph? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, the Lord was with him. In the middle of immense affliction, he knows the nearness and the presence of God. And in the midst of enormous affliction, he doesn't, understand, he doesn't know how long he's going to be in jail. He doesn't know if he's ever going to get out. He doesn't know what this end game is. This is what discernment is, by the way. Discernment is, we're going to look a little bit more at this in a moment, but discernment is the ability to be able to look past the immediate to see the end game. And the, it's kind of like, you know, some, some good footballers have good discernment because they can see the play unfolding in front of them instead of immediately what's happening around them. That's what discernment is. So, so if you're wondering, and, so, and God blesses some people with a spiritual gift of discernment. They're able to see the bigger picture apart from the immediate, by the way. And Joseph can see that. Joseph can see that. And there's an opportunity here. Do not interpretations belong to God. He says, please tell them to me. They belong to God. And here's, uh, as we spoke about uh, over the tithes and offerings, as we spoke about then, I want everybody in this room to know, God desires us and has designed us to be vessels and not containers. If you're reading Rock Reflections, you're about to bump into this one because this is in, in the book of Acts as well. <clears throat> and some of us have, like, we have uh, containers we, where we take stuff, we put it in, we put the lid on. That's a container. It's, it's designed, we have these things in our houses and they're designed to store stuff. But then also in our houses, we have what we call vessels. A vessel might be a jug or something like that where we fill it up, but it's designed to distribute. It's designed to flow. That's exactly 
what we're designed to be. You know, so often when God works in our lives or works in our churches, the, the first reaction is, you know what, let's lock the doors. <laughs> let's lock the doors and keep this inside. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, remember the disciples at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Something glorious happened up there. We, we miss this. Uh, we miss this too easily. Jesus takes three of them up the top and it says that he was transfigured before them. Basically what that means is uh, metamorphosis. It's like caterpillar to butterfly. Uh, for, the th- for the three years to that point, uh, they'd known Jesus, the caterpillar. But for, in this beautiful moment, they saw Jesus who stripped the veil back and they saw him in all of his glory, talking with Moses and talking with Elijah. They saw him and Peter... Peter reacted the same that all of us would react. Peter says this, I'm paraphrasing now. Peter says, this is awesome, Jesus. Let us build a tent. What's Peter saying? I never want this to go away. I never want this moment to pass. This is, this, this is eternity, by the way. This is, what we all, this is our hope. We're going to be in this moment far more rapturous than what Peter was experiencing here. Peter's like, let us build a tent. Let us preserve this. Let us build a tent here. We always want to build tents in our lives, but we, we, we fail to want to see that what God deposits in us at the top of the mountain, he desires for us to distribute in the foothills. And so God speaks. Peter wakes up after a period of time and Jesus restores him kind of thing. And, and they head back down the mountain because what God had deposited was not for them to sit in for the rest... What a waste. We're designed to be vessels, not containers. God has and is doing an amazing work in Joseph. And now God is using him as a vessel. We have an opportunity for God to use us as vessels right now. People are open right now. Bibles are flying off the shelves in America. What's that telling you? People are filled with uncertainty and anxiety and they're trying to cling to something solid in this life. Jesus is the only thing solid. The only place to place an anchor is, is in Jesus. An enormous amount of opportunity. If you're writing down words, the, the last one is the, is the word opportunity. We come down and, and Joseph, <clears throat> if you're still writing down words, the next one is going to be reliance. If you, if you come towards the end, Joseph sees an opportunity here. He, he's interpreted dreams. He knows that God's spoken to these guys. He's been a vessel for God. He's, he's, he's brought the word of God to them. Uh, uh, you know, and so he knows there's an opportunity here. And so he tries to kind of, he ever tried to get out in front of God? You ever heard the term getting out in front? Joseph's trying to get out in front of God a little bit here. Because he says to these guys, remember me. He says, you know what? I, I've done nothing that they should put me in this pit. Obviously, there's something different about me and God is using me. <laughs> Remember me when you are back. Remember me when you're back in front of Pharaoh. Mention me to Pharaoh. But uh, it says here at the end of chapter 40, write down the word reliance because Joseph tries to get out in front of God and this, this is no time for us to be getting out in front of God. It is a time for us to know that your reliance can't be in men. What happened? The chief cupbearer, the one who didn't die, did not remember Joseph but forgot him. The word for today from that is reliance. Now would be a really tempting time to try and get out in front of God. Let's just get everything back to normal here. Let's just sit back and rely on him. Let's know that he operates by his own time frames. We're going to see that he's enormously in control. That's the message that, that Joseph has. That God is creating opportunities, that he has scheduled appointments in our lives. It's time to turn aside and just rely on him and just say, you know what, God, you bring the, God's in control here. This will wind up in Australia when God is ready. We will be back worshipping as we were before and and. May that day come quickly. But it'll be in God's time. And I'm beginning to see God doing an enormously beautiful work in the fringes. We don't know what that will look like. Chapter 41, verse 2 says that after two whole years, another two years goes by. And you know what? Two years may not seem like a long time, but when you're in an Egyptian jail, it's a long time. See the time frame things again? Try to get out in front of God. They didn't remember him. Two years go past. Two years go by. Something happens. Now, I actually find this to be, if you're tracking with me today, I find this to be one of the most profound pieces of Scripture. 
This really highlights how glorious God is. When we're, let's be real for a moment. If we're honest with ourselves, there's a few elephants in the room at the moment, hey? Is this coronavirus from God? Is this God's judgment on us? Where's God in all of this? And isn't God sovereign? Isn't God in control? Why would God let this happen? And and friends, can can I just encourage you for a moment just to be slow to jump to some of those conclusions? It's okay to ask these questions. It's okay to be wondering these kinds of things. But friends, let us be... Let us be slow to jump to conclusions. Let us be slow to jump to the conclusion that that this is God's judgment on sinful man and it's fire and brimstone stuff. I mean, we've seen some, I'm already seeing some wacky stuff around the world. Guys in sackcloth walking down the streets of New York. There's no one there, by the way. They're preaching, you know, John the Baptist style. (laughs) There's no one there. No one's listening. But can we just, can we just, not rush to conclusions for a moment and just realise the gloriousness of God here. You know, we, we often bring God's justice sometimes into question. We ask questions like, you know, why would God do this and not that? Why does God work there? The wonder is, here's the most glorious truth about God, that he works at all. That he, that he purposes, and he does, that he purposes to work in our lives, any of us. Right now, God's working in your life. Do you know one of my favourite songs this year already is a song called Waymaker. Many of us are singing this song. You can listen to this song. I like this song. I like Waymaker. And I've, and I've grown to appreciate the song Waymaker a lot more lately. You see, uh, there's a bridge. I think it's a bridge. I'm not a musician, by the way. I, 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 I have a beautiful voice, for those that are wondering, but it's got a rough passage out. But uh, I'm not a musician, but in the bridge, you sing Waymaker, you know, all those sorts of things. But there's a bridge that says, even when I can't see it, you're working. I know, right? A bridge for me is something you drive your car over. But even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. You never stop working. Yeah, John Piper says beautifully, for those that read the pastor's comments this morning, John Piper says that at any one point in our lives, God is doing a thousand things of which we may be aware of three. Even when we don't see it, God is working. Even when we can't feel it, God is working. Have a look at what God does here. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. Who would have thought? You know... Pharaoh dreamed is God imposing himself upon the natural order of man. This is God imposing himself in people's lives. God is doing this right now today. This is the beautiful truth that's happening right now. All of these circumstances, all of these events is God imposing himself. Right now, he's opening blind eyes. Right now, he's exposing hard and callous hearts inside the church and outside the church. God, God be praised. God be blessed glorify his wonderful name this morning. But, <clears throat> but Joseph has got no idea. Joseph is down in jail. He's got no idea right now that Pharaoh's going to have a dream. Of all the people that you could have thought about on the planet that God could miraculously work in their lives, Pharaoh would be at the end of the list. But Pharaoh has a dream and that dream is from God. That is God communicating to Pharaoh. It begins to trouble Pharaoh's heart. God, you were glorious. There was a time in my life, I want everybody here to know, that I can testify the same as Pharaoh. There was a time in my life, looking back now, when God deliberately chose to impose himself into my life. We can reject that, friends. We can. We can shut the door, friends. I stand at the door and knock. That's a, that's a reference to the church, by the way. That's not a, that's not a salvation call, but... But we can ignore him. We can walk past burning bushes. But he doesn't stop knocking and he doesn't stop giving us opportunities. He's gloriously patient with us. I've got a confession to make. I know God's patient because my life has put his patience to the test. But God has imposed himself in my life. God brought me to himself on eagle's wings. That's my testimony. God is glorious, friends. 
And this is a glorious truth that God imposes himself. God is working behind the scenes. God is working. But have a look. Here's the most important word I think that applies to us now. As we come down to verse 14, it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. Now, uh, if you're writing the words down right now, we, we understand that God's imposed himself and he's working in Pharaoh's life. If you're writing those words down, write down the word positioning right now. Because the whole of Joseph's life, right from the time he was 17, right from when we begin to pick up his story, the whole lot has been about God positioning him for right now. Right now, this is what's important. This is God positioning himself. This is, this is sorry, this is God positioning Joseph right now. That right at the point in time when Pharaoh has a dream and he can't interpret the dream and somebody pipes up and says, hey, there's this little Hebrew boy. Remember the, remember the cupbearer? He says, hey, listen, there's this little Pharaoh boy. He, he interpreted my dream once. And Pharaoh calls for Joseph and Joseph is in exactly the right place at exactly the right time to do the will of God. And I believe that God is positioning the church right now. He's positioning leaders, he's positioning people, he's positioning individuals, he's positioning us right now. So that what's happening, what has happened in Joseph's life is everything that's happening in Egypt and Pharaoh, everything that's happening, they've been going like this and right now they meet. And I believe that God is doing an enormous work over here uh, in all the community around us, but God is also doing an enormous work in his church and he's bringing us to a point of positioning. God is wanting to position us. God is wanting to position you. God has positioned Joseph. <clears throat> we know that Pharaoh has a dream. I really believe that God is currently positioning us. Remember that piece of metal I told you about? When I pick up the piece of metal, right from the beginning, I know what I'm looking at. Right now, God saw this moment right now. Thirteen years ago in Joseph's life, God sees the moment that we're viewing right now. And we know that Pharaoh has two dreams, which is important for what we're about to read. But Pharaoh has two dreams. First one is about the skinny cows and the fat cows and the, and the, and the, and the skinny sheaves and the, and the fat sheaves. But the whole premise is that Joseph interprets the dream and says, you know what, there's going to be seven years of plenty right now. This is discernment. There's going to be seven years of plenty. Then there's going to be seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine and the seven lean years are going to swallow up these good years. God's imposing himself. Right now, God's plans are starting to come together. Okay? And Joseph's about to become the prime minister of Egypt, but We need to read this. And Joseph says, verse 32 of chapter 41, he says, And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, fixed by God, fixed by God. I'm not sure whether you got that. Are you tracking with me this morning? (laughs) Hang on a second. We need to lift the lid on this. Uh, We can't walk past this elephant. Let's not walk past the elephant right now because what this is saying is, this verse is saying, It goes on and says, and God will shortly bring it about. What Joseph is saying is there's a famine that is about to come upon the land. Now, let me tell you what this famine looks like. This famine will threaten the existence of Israel. That's why Joseph is where he is. If Joseph was not the prime minister of Egypt, then Jacob and the 70, the whole of God's people at that time, would starve. God had fixed a famine. (laughs) What? You mean people are going to go hungry and it's going to be... Yes, that's right. God had fixed seven years where people would be enormously uncomfortable. (laughs) What? Hang on a second. Uh, uh, The translators must have got that wrong. Now, you can read any translation you like. It says the same thing. God fixed this. God fixed this famine. God put it in place. God is in control. And another thing is that... If God has fixed it, if the doubling of the dream means that God has fixed it, it means maybe your prayer is not going to change it. Now, prayer does change God. Please hear me this morning. When we pray, it absolutely moves God and you should pray. But sometimes if it's outside the will of God, 
Thy will be done. Remember the essence of prayer from Good Friday? And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. There's going to be a famine. There's going to be a time of enormous uncomfort. And in that seven years of uncomfort, a lot happens in the life of Joseph. Most of us will know the account of the life of Joseph. It's not a story. It's not a fairy tale, friends. I want you to know Joseph was a real person that lived. I also want to lift the lid on a few other things that are fixed by God, by the way. Joseph will never go back to Canaan. Joseph will die in Egypt. He will die in a position of privilege, yes. But Joseph never declares Egypt to be his home. We're going to cover that next week. And if you're you're able to tune in next week, we bring all of this to a completion, by the way. Um, we, we move from, I believe this speaks into our present status right now. I believe, that, I believe that the last couple of messages about Joseph have been kind of setting the scene and God wants to speak into the moment that we stand right now. I believe Joseph's life speaks into it right now. I want you to know that there are times of uncomfort that come upon us that are fixed by God. I want you to know that God's in control. I want you to turn and rely on him. This morning. If you're writing down words, I believe this last word is very poignant to us. The last word is fruitful. (laughs) That's right. The heading for today's message, for those that caught it, is fruitful in affliction. And what we find happens is... Is that Joseph interprets the dreams. He then says to Pharaoh, basically, this is what I would do. And, and Pharaoh says, there's nobody that we have seen in, in whom is the Spirit of God. It says, can we find a man, verse 38, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? That's the confession of Pharaoh. The richest man in the world, most powerful man in the world at that time, that's his confession. I'm going to come back to verse 42 of this chapter. The culmination of all of this is that he gets elevated. He gets elevated to the number two position in Egypt. The only person above Joseph is Pharaoh. Joseph is fully restored. And and let's pick it up in verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore them to him. And, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, Hebrew name, Egypt's not my home. I'm a Hebrew. (laughs) Hebrew name, Manasseh. But Manasseh means something. He says, God has made me forget all my hardship. It's amazing how God can do that. God can, read the account of Job. (laughs) Uh, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. In other words, Joseph is no longer focused on what is lost. Oh, here we go. Preach it, pastor. (laughs) Preach it, pastor. That's right, yeah. Uh, no longer focused on what it is that he's lost. I wonder how many of us have got our focus there right now. We may, some of us in this room may be standing to lose a little bit. <laughs> we're probably not going to lose any loved ones. But you know what? Joseph says, I am no longer focused. God has made me forget what it is that I have lost. And the name of the second he called a frame, another Hebrew name. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He, Joseph is making a statement. He has named his children and they are according to a statement that says, I've forgotten all of my hardship. I, 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 I've forgotten the pit. I've forgotten being wrongly accused and my years in jail and being forgotten. I've forgotten all of those. And God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Here's the message I have from the life of Joseph to every single person in the church of Jesus Christ. He is going to make us fruitful in this time. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's like going through a furnace. Yes, it will bring us closer into his presence. Yes, now is the time to turn aside, but he wants to make us fruitful. I'm not talking about an increase in your bank account. I'm not talking about an increase in your possessions. I'm talking about a restfulness in the presence of God. He's forging character right now and you will be fruitful. Praise be to his glorious and wondrous name. 
God has designed that we should be fruitful in affliction. Read the account of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He wants everybody to know, here's my resume for being an apostle. And he lists his hardship, shipwrecked, starved, beaten, flogged, stoned. (laughs) 2,000 years ago, the word stoned meant something dramatically different than what it does now. Stoned. They stoned him and dragged him out of the city and thought he was dead. But here's a guy that planted churches all over Asia Minor and pastored them from prison. There's a lesson we all need to learn. Wow. Talk about socially distant. This guy was locked up in prison and they still couldn't chain up the word of God. They could not stop the spirit moving in power. Interesting. And I believe right now we're moving into a season. We will come into a season. We're going to talk a little bit about this next week. But when we talk about the divine weaver, for those that are interested, but... Next week, we will see the culmination of all of this, but God has called us to be fruitful in affliction. There is no reason. We are not here to survive affliction, friends. We're here to thrive. There are those that went into exile in Babylon in the time of Daniel that did far more than survive. They thrived. They thrived. Friends, something very Poignant happens for Joseph as, as I bring this to a close this morning. Chapter 42, when Joseph is restored, I was reading this, I glossed over and I went back and thought, hang on, this is pretty important. Why would Pharaoh do this? Let's read from verse 41. It says, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over the land of Egypt. <laughs> then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand. What's that all about? We'll get to that in a moment. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen. (laughs) This ruddy little guy's been dragged out of jail. They didn't bathe them in jail, friends. (laughs) Nobody's wearing Giorgio Armani suits in an Egyptian prison. (laughs) No, no, no. But hang on to these symbols for a moment, if you will. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Now, that signet ring, I, I did some research on what this actually means. When, when Pharaoh takes off that signet ring from his finger, it's a symbol of authority and he puts, he puts that symbol of authority. He, what he's saying to everybody that sees that ring is, all of my authority I've given to Joseph. Now, Joseph, can, Joseph cannot use that authority. Yeah, but he did use it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus took his signet ring off. He gave it to every one of us. And we now walk in his authority. It puts a different spin on affliction, friends. Puts a whole different spin on it now. And, you know, 2,000 years ago, The testimony of all of our lives is that Jesus has given us his signet ring, all of his authority. And we're walking around with his signet ring on, letting every power of darkness tell us what to do. (laughs) That's the wrong way around. It's time for the church to stop doing that. It's time for us to hold the signet ring up and go, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. You put the signet ring on his hand... And he clothed him in garments of fine linen. You know, every one of us were in that position. Every one of us were that Joseph. Every one of us were in those ruddy, disgusting garments. Garments we try to clean up ourselves. And when Jesus meets us, he puts his signet ring on us. He puts us in robes of righteousness. Praise be to his glorious name. And he, he, he adorns us with a golden necklace. It's kind of like an adorning, a decoration, a sign of pleasure. This morning, as we bring this to a close, friends, I hope you've written down all those words, time frames, God appointments, opportunity, reliance, positioning, and fruitful. And friends, as we bring this to a close, the most important message for the church today that comes from the life of Joseph is just like Joseph, Jesus has put his signet ring, given us all the authority. But flips the coin on affliction now. 
given us all of his authority, dressed us in his robes of righteousness. Praise be to his glorious name. Friends, it's time for the church to be fruitful. It's time for us to take hold of the authority that Jesus has put on our hand and on our finger. It's time for us to turn aside. Let's pray. This morning, Father, I thank you. I thank you that just as this word highlights, the truth is that you are working. Even though we can't see it, you're working. Even though we don't feel it, Lord God, I know you're working. You're working in our lives. You're working in this church. You're working in our community. You're working in this country. You're working across the globe right now. Glory be to your wonderful name. You are the sovereign God who is in control. There are times and seasons that are fixed by you. I pray every heart, Lord God, listening today would turn to you in reliance, would look to you this morning, living God, I pray. Jesus, you're magnificent. You're the King of kings and you're the Lord of lords and you gave us your signet ring and all of your authority. You dressed us in beautiful robes of righteousness. (laughs) Jesus, you never came to make any of us righteous. You came to be our righteousness. You came to, to be the garments that we wear. We love you, Lord. Turn us aside, Lord, every one of us in this season. We look to you to make us fruitful. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Every one of you, thank you for being here this morning and joining in. Uh, I pray God's richest grace and blessing upon you and that his peace would be with you. God bless you. And see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.